Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And I have plenty of wonderful merch in my store, and the link is in my show notes. As well, if you're a fan of Canadian history, make sure you check out all of my shows, from John to Justin, Canadian History X, Canada, A Yearly Journey, and Pucks and Cups, along with Canada's Great War. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. Just click Donate. It helps keep this show going. Okay, on with the show. It is generally considered to be the most powerful earthquake to occur in Canada in the past 1,000 years, and it would have an impact not only in what is now Canada the United States, but across the ocean as well. Now, earthquakes along the BC coast are nothing new. In fact, hundreds of earthquakes hit the region each year, but the majority are so small they are not felt by humans. Geologists have been able to determine earthquakes of the past, long before written records ever existed. In the period from 15,000 to 12,000 years ago, there were 18 major earthquakes in the region. This was around the same time that the first indigenous people were beginning to arrive in Canada. Between 500 BCE and 500 CE, there were no major earthquakes, but there were three in the space between 500 CE and 1000 CE. On January 22, 1700, at around 9pm, a 1,000km section of the Juan de Fuca plate experienced a megathrust earthquake that pushed the plate 20 meters, resulting in an earthquake that measured in at an estimated 8.7 to 9.2 on the Richter scale. The earthquake was so strong it released the same amount of energy as the United States consumes in an entire month today. It's also significantly stronger than the earthquake that hit San Francisco in 1906. Today, it is believed the earthquake caused five straight minutes of shaking along the coast. At the time, there were about 250,000 people living on Vancouver Island and the British Columbia coast. And according to evidence based on Japanese records, it's believed that the earthquake took place at about 7 to 9 p.m., sending a massive tsunami across the ocean towards Japan. The 1,000-kilometer section of land that moved ran from Vancouver Island all the way down to northern California. The displacement from the earthquake was 65 feet, and it's believed the earthquake relieved all the strain that had been building up for a few centimeters per year until it reached 65 feet. Looking back at that date, apart from the written records by the Japanese concerning the tsunami, there are only the oral stories told by the indigenous people of the region impacted by the earthquake. So it's hard to pinpoint if they're speaking of the 1700 earthquake, but there are stories of a major event that was very destructive around this time. Based on the number of generations going back to tell the stories of this event, it's been pinpointed to between late 1600s and early 1700s. One legend speaks of a large earthquake and ocean wave that destroyed settlements of Pashina Bay. The only community on that bay not to be wiped out was Masit, due to the fact it was 75 feet above sea level. It was said one indigenous woman was the only survivor from Pashina Bay simply because she was away at Barkley Sound when it happened. On the north end of Vancouver Island, the indigenous people have a story of a nighttime earthquake that destroyed nearly every house in the community. Another settlement was destroyed by a landslide at the same time, according to their oral history. Another legend tells of an indigenous traveler who was in the mountains when he heard the songs and dances of two mountain creatures. 
He joined in with them, and as they sang and danced, they grew tired until the man kicked the drum. This caused the man to be inflicted with a disease called earthquake foot. Every time he took a step, it caused great tremors throughout the region and formed gigantic waves. These waves took many out to sea and washed away several settlements. Chief Louis Nukmis of the Pashina Bay said in 1964, using the oral history passed down from the time of his great-grandfather, The land shook, a big wave smashed into the beach. They had practically no way or time to save themselves. At night, a massive wave cut through the darkness and every single person living in Pashina Bay was lost. The entire village was gone, and only those on the high ground were saved. Another oral legend states the shaking continued for 20 hours. This was likely aftershocks that continued after the main quake hit. One unidentified indigenous man from 1860 said that the tide rushed up at a fearful speed. Annie Minor Peterson, an indigenous woman, said in 1910, My grandfather saw one of the old women who had been left alive. She had been hung up on a tree, and the limbs of that tree were too high up. She was just a girl when she fell from it. Her back was broken from it, and she had a humpback thereafter. The Yurok people said of the quake, the earth would quake and quake again and quake again, and the water was flowing all over. The people then went to the top of the hill wearing headbands of woodpecker feathers so they could do a jumping dance that would keep the earthquake away. The Macaw people said the water changed levels so much that canoes were stranded in trees. Chief Guja of the Raven Clan said the stories of the earthquake typically had a moral included. One story was of a canoe passing by a strange village. The man in the canoe was soon pursued, and rather than risk becoming a captive, the man in the canoe threw himself into the water and drowned. That night, the villagers were punished with a tsunami that destroyed their settlement, but also washed up shells on the beach of a rival clan, making the chief wealthy. There are several ghost forests of red cedars on the coast of Oregon and Washington, which were killed by the lowering of the coastal forest into a tidal zone by the earthquake. The outermost rings of these trees date to 1699. Core samples done of the ocean floor also show debris from landslides in the Pacific Northwest and Lower Mainland around this time. The rings were also quite wide leading up to the last ring which showed there was a sudden event that happened rather than a slow rise of the ocean. In the 1980s and 1990s, scientists found that lands along the coast dropped suddenly and were covered in waves and mud. Delicate marsh plants that were alive were killed by the rapidly advancing seawater. On the Japanese side of things, it's strongly believed that a large tsunami hit Japan about 10 hours following the earthquake. Japanese records describe waves that were 6 to 10 feet high, hitting the coast. Based on current research, it is believed the tsunami went 2 kilometers up a river and destroyed farmed fields, fishermen's shacks, a government warehouse, and salt kins. Reports of the tsunami are found in official reports sent to Edo and in private family sources and histories. None of these reports speak of an earthquake in Japan, which lends evidence to linking the tsunami to the earthquake in British Columbia. For some time, the tsunami was called Japan's Orphan Tsunami because there was no local earthquake to trigger it. Back in North America, the Bridge of the Gods, which is a natural dam that was created by the Bonneville Slide, is believed by some researchers to have been caused by the earthquake. Recent work using radiocarbon dating has found that the slide links to an event that occurred between 1670 and 1760, which would put it in place for the earthquake. A lava flow eruption also occurred in British Columbia near Terrace, BC, around the time of the earthquake. The lava flow eruption is cited to have occurred between 1668 and 1714, damming the nearby river and forming a lava lake. As for that fault, scientists had believed that it was dormant up until about 20 years ago when it was determined that it has a magnitude 8 or greater earthquake every 500 years or so. So will the area see another large earthquake? It's believed that a magnitude 9 quake happens every 526 years. 
As for quakes that register 8 or higher, they happen every 234 years, which means the area is overdue, and only time will tell. I hope you enjoyed that episode of my look at the Cascadia earthquake. Information for this piece comes from Earthquakes Canada, OPD.org, CTV News, Capital Daily, Wikipedia, Canadian Geographic, the Vancouver Province, Hakeem Magazine, National Post, and the Victoria Times Colonist. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many you can sink your teeth into. We also love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those links in the show notes.